Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Tom Adams here for another edition of our flagship episode. And ladies and gentlemen, I've got good news. If you were a fan of myself and BFW and BPW Snitchell, the last time that it was us, uh, dynamic duo, if you will, tag team, if you will, if you were a fan of us, then I've got good news for you because I am joined by Schnitzel today. Schnitzel, how are you doing on the other end of the globe? I know we're um, not quite 24 hours, but almost there, removed from Bayern Munich's big, vital 2-1 win over SC Freiburg, ending uh, the stretch of matches before the international break on a high note. So it feels good. How are you doing, man? Yeah, hello, Tom. It's a pleasure to be on the spot once again with you. And I'm doing well. I'm just relieved that the Diwali celebrations are over and that we can actually do the pod without any interruptions or you know disturbance from outside because you know the fireworks, they can get really noisy. Yes, and that, that was just, uh, it started a few days ago, correct? And, and just recently ended. Yes. And yeah. as it's funny, as a typical stupid American, if you will, every time, as a big fan of The Office, every time, you know, it's Diwali season. Every time I just think of Michael Scott's stupid, stupid, uh, have a happy Diwali song, which uh, <laughs> I don't know if you find it funny uh, or if you find it absolutely stupid. But every time <laughs> I hear the word, I always immediately think of that in that episode. Yeah, yeah, it's actually trending, I think, a few days ago because it was on social media. And I am uh, a, a fan of The Office. Like, I, I really enjoy, uh, you know, uh, Carrie and the way he, you know, his... Uh, Sorry, uh, Steve Carroll, what am I saying? Yeah, and his uh, comedy and the way he carries the entire you know, series is just really good. So uh, I actually like that meme. <laughs> it is a hilarious episode too. And I didn't know it at the time, but uh, the woman who he winds up proposing to on what, their second or third date, that's actually his wife in real life, which I did not know at the time uh, when I had first seen that episode. But obviously we're here to talk about Bayern Munich and not the office. Although I could probably very well do an office spinoff if uh, Bavarian podcast works listeners are ever interested in that because I am an office complete nerd, but anyways, so Schnitzel, there's a lot of things to talk about today, but I thought we'd sort of start off this episode by just going over, uh, you know, this Bayern team and rotations right in the past couple of matches between the champions league uh, day of PayPal call, which I know that that match really didn't happen. It's just been wiped from our memory banks. Of course, the five mil uh, against Borussia Mönchengladbach or in the Bundesliga, we've seen uh, a lot of different rotations, some out of necessity, right? Because of suspensions, because of injuries, uh, because of illnesses, right? Uh, most recently with Leon Goretzka, uh, Julian Nagelsmann missed a stretch of matches after testing positive for COVID after our 5-1 win over Bayer Leverkusen at the Bay Arena. Oh, I have pretty much had like a kitchen set up uh, at, at his home in quarantine and was calling the shots from there. Dino Topmuller uh, had led the helm on the sidelines in his absence, but very much so, Schnitzel. Before, I think a lot of Bayern fans would agree that before this stretch, which I've just kind of mentioned, Nagelsmann was very much a kind of guy where if it's not broke, don't try and fix it. In terms of rotation, we saw some very consistent lineups, but now whether it's in midfield at the front or even in the back, we've seen a lot of different combinations in these last couple of matches, whether, you know, it's in the front. We've seen Kingsley Coman start a couple of times recently ahead of Serge Gnabry, uh, who had been having a fantastic start to the season in the back. We've seen different combinations of Alfonso Davies, Luca Hernandez, Dio Upamecano, Nicolas Sula, Josip Stanisic, 
Benjamin Pavard. There's been a lot of movement uh, maneuvering in recent weeks as far as the back line and uh, even the midfield as well. In, in Goretzka's absence, you know, there's a lot of different. We've seen Tolisso get in the starting lineup recently after, you know, he'd hardly played uh, in the beginning of the season. So, so Schnitzel, do you think this is something we're going to see more of even when the rotations aren't out of necessity? Is this something that Nagelsmann might start to do a, a, a little bit more than he did before? I honestly hope that Nagelsmann rotates the players more because my, one of my biggest criticisms of our flicks Bayern has been that, you know, uh, he was more or less reluctant to rotate his first choice lineup as much. He always stuck to the Alaba Boateng pairing at the center of defense and Kimmich and Goretzka were almost guaranteed a start in every single game. And that kind of thing is just not sustainable in the long run when you're facing like two or three games a week, which is what's going to happen after the international break when we'll play like so many games in quick succession. So, uh, I mean, what's the point of having so much depth if you're not going to use it properly? And uh, I also felt that this has been like a recurring theme with so many Bayern coaches in the past. Like many of them, they start out pretty, you know, Decently, they give the youth and uh, like like a few chances, maybe in uh, some games where uh, the possibility of Bayern losing is lower. But uh, they just show this reluctance to rotate that I'm just not very happy with. Like with Nagelsmann, especially, like he has shown a tendency to rotate his defenders, and I'm fine with that. He has played Upamecano, Luca Hernandez, and Niklas Zulu during different stretches of the season. Although I would have liked to see Tongi Nianzu play more often at centre-back, uh, his uh, gaffe against uh, Freiburg that led to the goal wasn't something to be proud of, and I wasn't very happy with that. So I think that must have been with good reason that he didn't get many chances. He did you know? do quite well against uh, Benfica midweek, though. We, we must that say a few mistakes, but I thought he was relatively solid. So I think it's about like uh, ushering him, you know, slowly and integrating him into the lineup rather than just throwing him in the midst of a game, you know, when he's barely had a chance to see some first first team action, which is the exact reason why I want to see more rotation. And this has to be more often, it has to be regular, not just out of the blue, where the player is just caught off guard completely and is just against the pace of the game. In this case, with uh, Neon Zoo, and it could happen to other players in the future. So... Uh, you know, Bayern and injuries, it's like a love story. So in injuries are bound to happen, especially during the crucial stretch of the season. So you don't want to have a situation where you're forced to play Mark Roca or Marcel Zabitzer or even, you know, Jamal Muziel in a big game and they just, uh, you know, can't get to the pace of the game and they just flounder because they didn't have many, you know, chances at first team action. So rotation is very important. I want to see more of the Bayern substitute players, like Chupa Moting, for instance, he can get more time. Lewandowski is the best in the world, and we know that he produces the goods every single time. But if you're leading comfortably and he scored two or three goals, I think it's fair to say that we can sub him out uh, to give him some rest. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Lewandowski is sort of an extreme example, kind of like, uh, you know, I don't even want to compare him to anyone because he is in a league of his own, but it's just like with age, you know, like a fine wine, he just seems to get better and better and better. And of, of course, there would be people in that camp, obviously, uh, Schnitzel, that do want to give him more rest, much like our own Chuck Smith is very much in the camp of making sure Joshua Kimmich gets more often rest, but 
because it seems like he is just constantly in the starting lineup playing 90 minutes. And I believe even still, I don't know if it's just in the Champions League or Champions League and the Bundesliga, or if it was just one or the other has the most distance covered, which is something he's routinely up in the uh, in the top five in. And I think uh, the thing, the thing about Kimmich is I'm not really sure if it's him that wants to start every single game, if it's the coach who wants him to start because he's the best at what he does, or if it's both. Because if Kimmich is really raring to go game in, game out, we know how he is. He's always been like this. And he will want to play every single minute of every game. But you can't just succumb to all his demands because then he would eventually just, you know, get exhausted and just fall fall as a heap in the middle of a game or something the way he's been going you know game in game out every single game never getting a rest and I'm very concerned because we don't want to have a situation like you know Bastian Schweinsteiger who towards the end of his prime he started to you know feel that burnout and you can you could see his performances decline you know uh, largely because he got very little rest like he was a very uh, important part of uh, Bayern's and Germany's, uh, you know, uh, winning teams, the, the World Cup and the Champions League winning teams. So I think no matter how good you are, you are not, you know, uh, you are prone to being benched. You should be prone to being benched and the coach should have the final say. You don't get to start every single game. This is Bayern Munich. And if the coach says you're supposed to get rested, you get rested. Doesn't matter if you're Kimish, doesn't matter if you're the best player in the world, Robert Lewandowski. 100%. And I know that I need no name will you know, his ears will definitely tingle and he'll get a very, very bad feeling in his stomach when I say this, but even a true Bavarian like Thomas Muller can't play every minute of every game and he needs to be arrested as well. As we've seen, uh, he came up, he's come off the bench recently. I think it was against uh, Benfica uh, that we saw him uh, start from the bench and, you know, Schnitzel, just to kind of tie this all together, you know, one thing I was kind of thinking about in the back of my mind, whether it's Julian Nagelsmann, Hansi Flick, uh, Nico Kovac, Yep Heinkis, going even further back, Carlo Ancelotti. You know, now, especially on the terms of rotations, we have the luxury of the five subs. And, you know, I, there's that running joke where Nogsman said, you know, on the iPad and all of his uh, video technologies, right? Because he brought all of his uh, video analysts from RB Leipzig with him to Bayern Munich. It's a very, very important, you know, uh, facet of how he likes to get his tactics across to the players. I'm sure you've seen some of the clips of him high up on the scaffolding with the big screen and, you know, drawing the lines on the screen, kind of like John Madden, you know, Monday Night Football-esque to get his uh, points across. And, you know, with all of that technology, even if you don't start some of these guys, it's not as if they're just unused assets on the bench. You can always change mid-match. And I think Nagelsmann is very good at getting his tactics tweaked based off of what's happening in any given match. If there's things he needs to change, things that's working, not working, and, you know, I, I think because of that, too, it's like we're still in this weird nebulous where matches are coming thick and fast. They're so close together, right? All because of COVID. We're still playing catch up. And it's crazy that some of these guys have been able to go as long as they have been without picking up any sort of injury. And I, I definitely share that sentiment with you, Schnitzel, about this should be something that's a little bit more regular so that we avoid getting in a situation where we have more injuries when the, the matches really start to come thick and fast. Yeah, and also for, for a man who's as tech-savvy as Nagelsmann is, and I'm pretty sure on that iPad of his, he constantly reads BFW articles and our match analysis <laughs> and all that. Because I'm sure I'm he pretty, does. Yeah. I mean, where else can you get such amazing ideas from, right? Like, he just came in, seamlessly integrated the team, and his tactics are really good. So I think he, 
you know, reads our observations or analysis. And <laughs> it's fair to say that uh, a lot of the commentators and the, you know, the people who are a part of the BFW community, they believe that Nagelsmann should rotate more and he should also, you know, rest some players like Kimmich, for instance. But uh, I would expect more from Nagelsmann. Like, I mean, he should read the articles more carefully, maybe scroll through the comment section, get some ideas, incorporate them. I think Niko Kovac didn't do that, which was why he probably got sacked. <laughs> that is the, the sole and only reason why... Nico Kovac wound up departing Bayern Munich is because he didn't read enough BFW. We were giving him all the right tools, all the right answers. Um, you know, and look at what happened with uh, Germany in their qualifying campaign when Joachim Love finally decided decided to listen to us and reintegrate Müller into uh, the Mannschaft squad. I mean, you know, the writing was on the wall for him. We tried as long as we could to get the message across to him, uh, and he finally listened. But uh, and Schnitzel, as we know, as Nagelsmann has said, you know, he's not watching Netflix on the on the iPad, despite what uh, some people might have joked. <laughs> but anyway, so we go, we've talked a decent amount about rotations here. So there are some players in the squad who haven't had a lot of minutes who you would have guessed would have had more minutes by this stage. And I think probably the perfect candidate to start off talking about this is Marcel Sabitzer, who we brought from RB Leipzig just before the transfer window ended. And I believe it was before uh, yesterday I had looked at a stat from Sport 1. He's only clocked a total of 287 minutes, Schnitzel, which for a guy who had as much hype surrounding his transfer and as much as he did and as much of a leader he was in that RB Leipzig team under Julian Nagelsmann, uh, and then Jesse Marsh at the beginning of this season. Granted, he didn't cover himself in glory uh, in the first couple of match weeks for RB Leipzig. Um, but where has it gone wrong? And, you know, Schnitzel, this is also something after the Benfica match where he came on, I believe it was in the 70th or 71st minute for Joshua Kimmich. It was one of his mistakes that led to uh, Benfica's second goal, I believe it was. And, you know, wasn't a terrible match. I mean, it at the end of the day, conceding that goal is not really an issue whatsoever for us in terms of advancement or our standing in the Champions League in total. But, you know, whether it was injury, whether it was something else, the reports had shown he did not celebrate with the team. You know, it, it's as is customary when we go over to the fans in the, in the Sud Curva uh, and thank them for their support at the rest of the Allianz Arena as well. He was not present with the team for that, went straight to the dressing room and just seemed to have a very... Uh, lackluster attitude after the match and you know whether there was some kind of injury there or whatever Nagelsmann or anyone from the club is officially going to say obviously they're going to make it sound much much less worse than it could have actually been behind the scenes and you know Schnitzel do you think there's a there was a lot to that a lot of frustration not only just from that match or perhaps a lot of things coming to surface since he hasn't really played quite that you know, quite that many minutes and hasn't really hit his full stride at Bayern Munich? Or do you think this is just, you know, a little bit of a coincidence and that was just a, uh, you know, match only a reaction to not not playing well against Benfica? I think uh, some suggested that he could have, you know, uh, he could have had uh, some injury issues or some strain in his legs or something that he was facing, which was possibly why he left uh, into the tunnel, you know, somewhere to maybe take care of that situation. Maybe he just wanted to, you know, maybe nature came calling and he had to <laughs> use the, <laughs> use the little it, uh, uh, and Eric yeah, Dyer, yeah. if you will, only wasn't mid-match. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, uh, yeah, Nagelsmann true. or Dino Topmuller didn't go uh, chasing him. Like uh, yeah, Mourinho it, went chasing Dyer. 
<laughs> so i mean at bayern you always you know get the privacy you deserve you don't have people chasing after you into the washroom i guess <laughs> fair fair to say um i i would say that if i were in this position i would obviously be a, a, a bit frustrated at the very least because uh zabitzer everyone knows how much i admire him both you know in the listeners of the podcast and the people who read my articles at bfw i've been clamoring for this move for like you know more than a year and everyone knew how happy i was when he joined bayern munich and i think he's a, a midfielder with just amazing quality he was one of the best midfielders in the bundesliga for the past two to three seasons at the very least and he was such a force you know at rb leipzig and he was always regular in their uh, first team always the first name on their starting lineup and uh, he was such an amazing leader and he's capable of so many great things so maybe the transition to bayern hasn't been as easy as he would have expected especially you know given that he's he's under the same coach that he used to be under rb leipzig and uh, you know most of the squad players they kind of are accustomed to that same sort of gegen pressing style that rb leipzig employs so maybe it hasn't been as rosy for him maybe uh, he's just a bit rusty is just uh, it's still pretty early into the season and he hasn't gotten many starts i think he's only started once if i remember correctly for bayern just one start so with all these fringe minutes he's been getting and he's not been starting often i think uh, it's possible and he he's definitely not doing worse than leon goretzka i mean <laughs> i've been a, i've been criticizing goretzka since the start of the season and he hasn't honestly been showing much to warrant that starting role over any of his midfield counterparts he hasn't been covering himself in glory and he has just been very very poor with his passing and with his defensive abilities he's been losing the ball so many times yeah you want something straight I will even kind of one up you or raise the ante, so to speak, on this. I kind of asked two questions. So you mentioned obviously him coming to to Bayern along with Julian Nagelsmann and a lot of the same assistants, the video analysts, as I previously mentioned. So, what do you think he thought it would be a little bit more seamless that transition because of that relationship and that connection? And also, I'll add to that Schnitzel. We've seen Toliso a lot more of Toliso these past two matches than we have for months granted he's as he's had injury trouble uh at one point was uh quarantining because of covid but that's just another thing to add to the mix whether it's Goretzka not playing well and you think uh deserving of a little bit of rotation with Sabitzer Kimmich obviously is probably the main candidate you're not going to supplant in Bayern Munich's midfield because of his importance as that literal and positional number six but adding Tolisso to the mix he hasn't done poorly at all in those past two matches that he's been involved in um the most recent of which was a uh, or sorry uh when did he now now I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden he started he, one a uh, one match recently and then obviously came on uh I believe against uh Benfica or Freiburg I'm getting my wires crossed I think I think he started against Freiburg uh, sorry against Benfica and he uh was subbed in against Freiburg okay uh, in the second half yeah. either way we've seen much more of him in these past two matches than we have all season is that something else that's just added to the mix for Sabitzer? Another hurdle, so to speak, that he'll have to clear? Against uh, Freiburg, I think had Sabitzer been fit, he would have started ahead of Toliso. I just, uh, Toliso, at the moment, he's just not offering anything flashy or anything great. Uh, he is definitely not doing more than any of Bayern's other midfielders. He's just been quiet, but sort of efficient with his passing. But, uh, you you would say that he is not obstructing the passes in a way and he's 
you know, integrating himself smoothly to the flow of the game. Although it would be a stretch to say that he's doing better than Zabitzer when uh, he actually showed flashes of brilliance uh, earlier in the season. I think uh, the first two to three games he got a chance to start in and it looked very promising. And I feel like with more starts, he should get better. And he definitely isn't worse than Tolisso. He's a better player than Tolisso overall. Even has a higher ceiling, I believe. And since Tolisso is on his way out, most probably at the end of the season, we're going to let him go on a free, as we always do. I mean, we are FC Bayern. These suck at selling players, you know, just <laughs> come and rip us off, take all the players off for free. Well, hopefully that changes. Uh, like recently, Oliver Kahn was telling uh, Hassan Salihimidzic, uh, you know, Brazo, you know, I need to see some financial, you know, yielding from this next transfer window. And uh, Schnitzel, I don't know about you, but uh, as nice as it might be having Oliver Kahn as a boss, when he's telling you to do something, he's not pleased. It's probably not very fun <laughs> to have a yeah. conversation <laughs> with. That is, that is very true. And, uh, you know, if Oliver Kahn tells you to do something, then you just work on it. You yeah, don't exactly. You know, I, I would not yeah. question it whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. So uh, if we were to, lose Tolisso and Zula in the same window for free, I would be devastated because that is just some really, really piss poor yeah, just you know, sales. Business. Especially yeah, Nicolas exactly. Zula with how well he's been doing. Exactly. Yeah. I think he is our permanent solution at right back moving forward. Obviously, we'll focus on the right back uh, spot you know, more in the minutes to come. But uh, coming back to the Zabitzer question, I think he will get more minutes moving forward and we shouldn't get too concerned because he has that talent, that caliber in him. And we know how you know, well he plays, what he's capable of during his time at RB Leipzig. And I think he just needs some more time and a little help from his teammates as well as from the coach to you know, smoothly transition. I think one of the major issues is him and Kimmich playing in overlapping positions. Like they do like almost the same thing for this team. If you notice, like they both drift back between the defenders to receive the passes. They both play make from the deep and they both try to take shots from outside the box, which is very similar. And since the overlap, I think Zabitzer has been less effective when paired with Kimish. And it would be interesting to see what, will, what would happen if he was paired with Goretzka or with Mark Roka, for instance. So I'd like to see Nagelsmann bench Kimmich and start Zabitzer one of these games. Well, it is a big shout, but you know, not certainly not the most far-fetched call uh, from a Bayern standpoint. And with the amount of matches that we have coming up, and you know, I'm not entirely sure if Hansi Flick will give Kimmich and Goretzka a bit of a rest for Die Mannschaft in the upcoming international break, since Germany is already through and qualified to the World Cup. Um, not sure exactly how many rotations we'll see for them, but potentially. Joshua Kimmich, Joshua Kimmich probably like make sure to get the nudes of every single coach he plays for beforehand so that he can like blackmail him into starting every single game. Because at yeah. this point, I honestly don't understand why both Flick and Nagelsmann start him in every single game. Aside from his quality, of course, why would you want to run your best player into the ground? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if, you know, he, like as we had discussed earlier, we're questioned, you know, is it him whispering in the, in the ear of the manager going into the office every day saying, look, I want to be there. Uh, or if it's just something that, you know, um, that he gives off during every training session, that mentality, that intensity he has. I think it was Marco Rosa not too long ago talking about uh, one of Dortmund's recent Champions League losses saying, look, if Kimmich were on the team, he wouldn't let this happen. He'd be yelling. He'd be screaming. He'd be getting, you know, in everyone's ear, doing everything he can to to turn it around and to get people to start doing their jobs and not making mistakes. But uh, exactly. he would 
you would have to think that with all of the context surrounding this international break for Dimanshoff, this would be a perfect opportunity for Flick to just try different things. There's really no risk aside from like a headline of maybe losing a game that doesn't matter. But I, mean, I really don't come think on. The scheme of Are you kidding me? Uh, Armenia? Like, seriously? You, you never, really think? Yeah, come on, man. Well, like Deutschland against Armenia. Come on. If, the, if he doesn't win that without Kimmich, like if he cannot win that like without Kimmich and Goretzka, he probably shouldn't be, you know, Germany's manager because these games, honestly, Liechtenstein, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Armenia, yeah. like... <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, uh, it's definitely lost a little, little bit of the uh, the enticement, so to speak, considering that we are already through. However, we'll still cover those games, and uh, we'll we'll have to see what Flick does, what experiments he wants to try. Um, one would but, one would think that uh, this is the best chance for Hansi Flick to like rotate his midfielders and see where the quality lies. You know. Test oh. the depth of a squad rather than just play the same old bread and butter game in, game out. And it's just, you know, getting boring and also causing huge strain on buying players. 100%, which we have eight in the squad, which is usually always the, uh, the case. Uh, now, now, Schnitzel, on the theme of top talents being underutilized. So we are now at a period where the last time Jamal Musiala has started was Bayern's 4-0 win over Hoffenheim just a few weeks ago. And really obviously it's a tough call because we have an inform thomas muller Lewandowski, serge gnabry even kingsley coman has deputized well in the recent starts and minutes that he's been getting uh, but almost to no fault of his own schnitzel musiala has just been been benched after being very very productive and showing very very well for himself and uh, you know i know a lot of bayern fans especially on bayern fan twitter uh, comment section for some of our articles are just begging and asking the question, you know, why has he been benched and why isn't he starting more and why isn't he getting more minutes? Yes, we did see him come on yesterday against Freiburg, probably not his best outing of the season, but, you know, definitely not anywhere near his worst. Uh, so Schnitzel, what do you think's going on with uh, Musiala? Musial? Is it just a matter of being uh, one of, you know, four to five really top talented in form wingers and attackers for Bayern Munich or is there there's something else going on and you know do you think we'll quickly start to see him get back in the starting lineup more often I think there are a lot of factors that come into play with these decisions the 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 one of the most obvious of them obviously being uh the fact that Kingsley Coman Serge Gnabry and Leroy Zane are all in a rich rich I can't believe I cannot believe I just forgot to say Leroy Zane's name it's it's so (laughs) obvious in my mind because it's Leroy Zane uh, 2.0 and he's playing so well that I just figured you know it's obliged I don't even have to say it and you should remember him because of how well he does against Liverpool all the time (laughs) yes painfully so painfully (laughs) so yeah yeah so anyways uh these three wingers they're in like really good form right now and it would be difficult obviously to bench them consistently in favor of Muziala but I think he will get his starts going forward it's very difficult to keep a player like Muziala benched because he's just so good he's one of the best young wing talents in the world and he is a very 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 amazing like he has a really high ceiling more so than any band player you know, witnessed outside of maybe Robert Lewandowski and uh, Thomas Miller to an extent during his younger youth days at uh, Bayern Munich's uh, uh, youth team. But uh, outside of that, like Muziala is an academy talent. He's developed so well. He's He has so much, you know, uh, dribbling ability. He's like Franck Ribéry 2.0. 
but uh, with you know that decision making and that quality with dribbling in nifty spaces, just like Frank Ribery. So I think it's just a matter of time before he gets more starts. But I also think it's Nagelsmann doing this balancing act. If you strain the youngsters with too much time and too many minutes on the first team, they might start to burn out at a very young age. It might cause strain in their muscles and it might also not be very good if they get gassed out. Like, look at Pedri, man. His, his eyes, like, dark circles around them and he looks like, you know, half dead, half alive, like, almost like a zombie, you know, playing game in, game out for Barcelona, for Spain. We don't want that situation happening with Muziela, do we? And the, the same kind of thing happened with Alfonso Davies as well last season with Click, you know, when he was playing a lot of time. Uh, and uh, he was getting starts all the time. So Flick, you know, benched him, if you remember, the last uh, four or five games, uh, c- consistently, like, giving starts to other players, even though Davies was fit. Because you need to manage that load when you're at a young age. You cannot risk running the players into the ground. So I think Nagelsmann is also taking a cautious approach. But I think there's nothing to worry about. He will get his starts in the coming weeks. And if not for Bayern, he will start for Germany, I think, in the international break. He should, at least. And he's a star. He is going to show, you know, what, what, what he's got, basically. I'm not concerned about Mozilla. I was just going to share the sentiment, uh, too, Schnitzel, because I was going to say if, if last season and even the season before when he got his breakthrough into the senior team, you know, if, if that's shown us anything, it's that he can be productive whether he's involved right from the get-go, whether he's involved for 20 minutes, 15 minutes in any given match, whether he's involved for three matches in a span of one month's time and then, you know, not involved at all for, you know, four to five matches for whatever reason, whether it's an injury or just not getting in the team. I think, it, regardless, I don't think uh, consistent minutes and consistent starts uh, or lack thereof is going to be anything that's of detriment to him because I just think he's that good, uh, he's that positive, and he's that bright that he can come into any situation at any given time in any match and, and make a difference, as I said, whether it's from the bench or whether it's from starting. Um, I mean, and, if uh, Muziala was like a Manchester United player or a Man City player, he would already be the front runner for the Golden Boy Award, which is just how good <laughs> he is. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's phenomenal sometimes watching him in tight spaces when you think the play is dead or he's going to lose possession. He just somehow finds a way to wriggle out, you know, and get into space and then, you know, make something happen, whether it's feeding Lewandowski or one of the other attacking players getting to the byline, which I think he does incredibly well when you think the situation's gone. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think... Uh, just as I said before, we both share the same sentiment in that. And, you know, I would say too the one thing, like if it actually was him kind of saying, I do want to be more involved and I do want to be playing more. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe he, he has a, I, I want to say I saw him on the right uh, yesterday after he had come on, but I, I do believe he does have somewhat of a preference to the left side. And obviously that is going to mean, oftentimes being there instead of Leroy Zane, who is just, yeah. at this point in time, why like stop this uh, freight train that is Leroy Zane 2.0? It's like, you don't even want to touch him. You don't even want to touch it. you just like, okay, keep doing this because this is what we need. We don't want to go back to Leroy Zane, uh, you know, 1.0, so to speak. Like, just keep being <laughs> Leroy yeah, Zane yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and another thing to remember is that uh, both Muziala and Zane, they combine excellently with Alfonso Davies, which I've seen, you know, yes, the yeah. other wingers not do uh, to that extent. So I think uh, it doesn't matter if it's Leroy Zane or Muziala, they both combine so well with Davies. That synergy is just better than the sum of its parts. And I think that is what makes the left side of Bayern so deadly. And I agree with you. 
Lirozane is so good right now. It's difficult to bench him. So I think it has to be like a careful balance, you know, trying to integrate Muziala, giving him some minutes, but also ensuring that Lirozane gets the starts he deserves. It was never tough. Sorry, it was never going to be easy being a Bayern coach, but, you know, that's it's all in the game, and I hope Nagelsmann figures something out. Now, Schnitzel, we were just talking about the left side. I think it's time we move on over to the right side. And something that you had mentioned earlier, uh, if the listeners hadn't been paying attention or if it kind of went under their radar, but you had said something along the lines of, I think we found the long-term solution at right back in Nick Lasula, who has been playing very well there, especially as a quote-unquote preferred center back. We know that he can play both positions to great effect. And now this, this poses a great question. Right. Because Benjamin Pavard for a while had been our bonafide go to right back, which a lot of people have been really kind of suggesting that he's not been cutting it and he's not been living up to the expectation uh, or living up to the Bayern standard, so to speak. And it just has not quite been, you know, working for him this season. And I think it's kind of typified by that red card he got against uh, Greuther Firth a couple weeks back, which caused him to miss uh, two matches uh, subsequently for the red card suspension. And we've also seen uh, Josip Stanisic deputize quite well at right back. And I know that if uh, I need no name we're listening right now, he'd say just end the segment by saying Pavard should be benched for the rest of the season and split right back between Stanisic and, and Nikola Sula. But Schnitzel, what is, I mean, is something going to give for Benjamin Pavard, or do you see him just slowly getting waned out to both Nikola Zula and Stanisic at that right back position? I think uh, if Zula, you know, extends with Bayern, all signs point to Pavard making the move to the Uber Eats League, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so like, uh, as I echo in sentiment in that uh, Nikola Zula, if we extend him, I think he has a really bright future at the right back position because he's just so good offensively. Like you cannot play him when he's dribbling at full speed with that size, you know, that power, that, you know, that pace. And obviously uh, I think it was Phil Bonnie. I'm going to echo him again. He mentioned that uh, Zula, you know, dribbling the ball is like a refrigerator running towards you at full speed, <laughs> 30, 35 miles per hour. And you're just like, you just lose your composure. You don't know what you're going to do. So it's difficult to face a player like Nikola Zulu is coming at you at that pace with the ball. So that kind of adds to, you know, his offensive capabilities. We all know how good he is at drif- dribbling. You know, the Zulino nickname that we've coined at Bavarian Football Works is pretty popular now. And he's always so productive going forward. He takes so many shots. And obviously, uh, uh, I-, I don't think he's scored this season yet, but so many of them come so close to, you know, uh, ending up as really good chances for the team. And not just that, he's also super solid defensively. So he's like an all-round right back. And I think we should extend him. And if we do, he is our right back choice moving forward. Pavar is just, just not cutting it for me right now. And given that he's been saying all the wrong things before the media lately, he's just not been covering himself in glory. Uh, I think he should just shut up and focus on, you know, Bayern Munich games. I know that might sound a bit harsh, but like a large portion of the fan base is very unhappy with, you know, the way he's been carrying himself before the media. And you know, during Bayern Munich games. Uh, you can say that his performance uh, uh, lately against, I think he started against Benfica, was all right. It was, uh, he didn't make many mistakes, but it wasn't anything flashy either. And if you want to be starting for Bayern, 
uh, being decent or being okay just doesn't cut it. Yeah, it's just... It, it seems as if Pavard's career at Bayern has, has been... Okay, he's had a run of good performances, he's showing promise, and then something happens, and it's either one or two steps backwards or just a sidestep where he doesn't progress and doesn't go forward. And all these things which, he, which we've just discussed this season, you know going against him and you're right with what he said kind of snubbing Lewandowski for the Ballon d'Or which is what you were referring to it's just not helped his case especially for Bayern fans like if you're in a situation he's in like why would you say something like that mm-hmm. and also I think uh, uh, since the 2019-20 season when I was actually very happy with Pavard's performances like he was doing really well at that right back position he was also contributing offensively He's just fallen after that injury, you know. He's fallen by miles, and he's just not looking the player he used to before. I think he's just getting starts at right back for France because they just don't have any other option there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> I don't think he starts if France has like a very talented right back because uh, he just doesn't offer much offensively, and even defensively he is prone to errors. And I would say Zula is better in that regard as well. And I'm not happy with his recent media statements. Uh, the Lewandowski thing was actually uh, just one small section of all the statements he made, you know, against Deschamps. Like, who calls their national team coach out before the media? Yeah. Like, who, who does that? Why would he, what was going through his mind? I have no clue. But he criticized Deschamps for making him play more offensively but isn't that what you're supposed to do as a right back especially when that's the one you know that's the one dynamic where you're getting more time right you know exactly. why, why burn a bridge that can that's going to benefit you like you know playing for Le Bleu and on the, the world stage and could possibly help your chances of getting back in uh at, at Bayern because Nagelsmann is surely going to be watching those games or, or some of his assistants and his, uh rift against Paul Pogba and, you know, uh, I mean, uh, I don't know why Pavard is against uh, going offensive because if you see Joao Cancelo and Trent Alexander-Arnold, Reese James, so many amazing right-backs in the game, they are just so offensive. And yes, granted, they are, some of them are very suspect defensively, you know, uh, including the right-back of your team. Yep. <laughs> I don't have to remind I, you of last I would, season's champions. I would even say you don't even have to pick the top six. I would say... Yeah. Tariq Lamptey, who made uh, Andy yes. Robertson look like a slowpoke last week. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Lamptey's yeah. coming off of a muscular injury, and he's running like that. Whew. These uh, right backs, they kind of made it, you know, they've said benchmarks, essentially, of how an offensive right back, how a right back is supposed to be. And you can't just not contribute offensively, especially given Bayern Munich is a team that's so focused on the offense. And if you see, Bayern historically has had right backs that are so good offensively. If you see Philip Lam. He always used to chip in with so many good crosses and combined well with Robin. Then you have Joshua Kimmich, who was the best in the world at the right-back position for like one or two years. And now you have Benjamin Pavard, who is just reluctant to go forward and criticizes his national team coach for it. So I don't know what to say. And uh, I just hope uh, things get sorted out. Zula gets extended. And then we'll be shipping Pavar to France, you know, to play against Venice and Stadpad there, hopefully. I mean, don't get me wrong. I certainly miss the Benjamin Pavard that only scores volleys for both France and for yeah. Munich. But, you know, with what we've seen, it seems like uh, that Benjamin Pavard is buried deep within. It's like a Benjamin it's like Pavard a Mario. Right yeah, it's like a Mario Goetze situation, you know, scores in the World Cup, joins Bayern, doesn't play very well, goes to Dortmund. 
Benjamin Pavard scores an amazing volley against Argentina, joins Bayern, starts to crumble, and now he's just you know got the entire fan base against him. So well, maybe he is trying to pull the uh, the Odriol Zola winners method, right? The guy <laughs> just a serial winner collecting yeah. those winners medals with uh, reduced minutes. I mean, the name of the game. Can you imagine Odriol Zola's uh, trophy cabinet at home? You mean Gotrio Zola? <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. The yeah. king of winners medals, right there. But but that's why I just of, oh go ahead yeah, Pavard's uh, statements before the media and Robert Lewandowski. I think we should move on to the Ballon d'Or candidates. Yeah, I mean it's just so. What's odd is that Pavard is backing a guy right in Benzema that didn't even make a the short list of the short list, which is just completely bizarre. And with the situation he's in at Bayern, you know, just adding salt to the wounds of. You know, going against Lewandowski, and I, I think even a lot of non-Bayern fans, non-Bundesliga fans, would be very uh, upset if it wasn't Lewandowski, and think it was just a, uh, a yet another robbery from France football if it were to go to Lionel Messi or someone like Jorginho, which I I personally don't even really understand how he's in the running, just based yeah. off of uh, winning. I don't really think he does much except lateral. Jorginho isn't convert the best. penalties and complain <laughs> during the match. Yeah, that's Jorginho obviously biased isn't... as a Liverpool fan, but. <laughs> no, no, you're actually right. Jorginho isn't the best player for his country. He isn't the best player for Chelsea. He isn't even the best midfielder for Chelsea. So, uh, <laughs> much, I mean, yeah. if there are players in your own teams that are ahead of you for the award and who deserve it more than you do, how do you have that top three shout? It's just the trophies. He's been carried by his teams. And suddenly he has a shout for the world's best player, which, ha- which makes no sense to me. And forget Jorginho. I don't even think Messi deserves it. I think this yeah. year is Lewandowski's year. Which we've seen, uh, you know, the past couple of days, internal documents supposedly are leaking saying that Messi has won it. And we actually cannot believe this. I hope that those are just, you know, false leaks and there's not a lot of truth to them. But I mean, you know, right now I want to use some expl- explicatives, but uh, I'm not going to do so <laughs> just so <laughs> that we don't get uh, flagged. But I mean, wow. If yeah, that yeah. actually does take place, it's like, what does any Bundesliga striker have to do more which it probably is impossible uh, for anyone I mean, to do other than Lewandowski. Like, what more do they have to do to win this trophy? As disgraceful as it was last season for them, you know, snubbing Lewandowski and, you know, canceling the award so many, which still, like, you know, befuddles me. Like, I'm just, just you know, confused. Well, you know, it was, how... quote-unquote, unfair that Ligue 1 didn't get to finish their season because yeah. of the, uh, the French government's decision to scrap the season altogether. Sure, Ending, uh, Neymar, Neymar would have dived his way to a Ballon d'Or. Come on, don't make <laughs> me believe that nonsense. No exactly. one from League One was even close to the Ballon d'Or podium last season. Even in the league, I don't think they would have done enough to you know, warrant. And besides, who even cares about the league? I mean, <laughs> it might sound harsh, but like it isn't even a good league. The quality of the teams isn't great. And uh, it's even more lopsided now that PSG has essentially made it a one-horse race. So, granted, uh, I think it was uh, Lille that won it last season. Yep. But even even so, uh, it was PSG that let Lille win. It wasn't Lille that won. So, I think it's like, uh, it was very unfair what France football did last season. But even more so this season, if they don't award it to Lewandowski, because, per my understanding, the Ballon d'Or is awarded for a calendar year, right? Yes. It's not done per season. So it's not for the 2020 to the 2021 season. It is rather for the year 2021, right? So yes, yes. if that's the case, I think 
Lewandowski's current stretch of games, the current season, should also be taken into consideration. And if you take the goals plus assists metric per 90 and overall as well, even though the Bundesliga has four fewer games than other leagues, Lewandowski is second to none. He is the best. And it's not even close. What Messi is, is nowhere 60, close. 60 goals in 2021? Manuel Neuer has more assists than Messi this season. <laughs> And that was a great assist. It was a great assist, we might add. And Le- Lewandowski, is... uh, you know, imitating the, the Bundesliga logo once again, trapping that ball, taking it down. Yeah, man. He's done that, done that so many times with his acrobat, uh, you know, acrobatic abilities, his athleticism. And there is no one who deserves it more than Lewandowski. Especially, did you see that uh, hat-trick plus assist performance against Benfica? I mean, who even does that, man? That is ridiculous. And he should be getting this award hands down. And it very well could have been four goals had he not uncharacteristically, you know, put a penalty too close to the middle yeah for sure and are you going to give it to Lionel Messi because he scored against Bolivia and <laughs> you know whatever stat padded against uh, yeah, teams fin- finally got his uh, Copa America trophy you know like the big uh, subplot right like he finally has a trophy with Argentina but the Copa America happens every two years so it's not that great to be honest it's actually a surprise that he hasn't won it even once you know until until this year when yeah. it's been happening so frequently he just couldn't do it and it doesn't mean all that much to me, uh, considering he just hasn't been good for PSG. I mean, in terms of numbers, at least. I don't know how he does on the pitch, because who watches PSG play? Who watches the League One? <laughs> but, like, I know that he just uh, hasn't contributed in terms of goals and assists. I think he's yet to score in the League and for PSG. And he's yet to yeah, assist a single goal. Yeah. yeah. Only scored and, in the Champions League. And if you can't stat pad against Rennes and Brest and Nice... What claim do you have for the Ballon d'Or? I seriously am so confused. I think if they rob Lewandowski again, France football loses all credibility and they should just shut down as an organization because nobody's going to you know, care much about them after this. Oh, 100%. I think the footballing community will pretty much just sort of implode. Uh, you have your Ronaldo stands, your Messi stands, right? But I mean, I think general consensus Ronaldo is they'll, uh, isn't they'll even implode. in this conversation. Ronaldo is not here, man. Like, oh, but believe me, you have your stance online. You have your Ronaldo fans that will just like defend him to the death for anything. Yeah, I for mean, absolutely anything. No discredit to him. He's one of the greatest, you know, players of all time. But even still, you know, objectively and even removed, it's like even now you would have people arguing his yeah. case with what we've seen from Lewandowski, which is just absolutely incredible. And absolutely and these people, incredible. they also invent stats like. You know, most successful passes into the final third or into the penalty box per 60 or something ridiculous like most breaths taken per per hour (laughs) or like most dribbles done in their own half of the pitch or like, what is this, man? I don't even know. Like, they just create these stats to make their player look better. But the numbers game, the stats actually don't lie. And I think based on the goals and assists, that's what you expect from a forward, right? I mean, you don't expect a forward to put in like 15 tackles per game or like, you know, 10 successive progressive passes from the midfield center half space to the right-hand side half space or whatever, you know, whatever metric yeah. these people create. Lewandowski is just a standout performer and if he doesn't win the Ballon d'Or, it's a shame. France football, I never had respect for you anyways, but, you know, <laughs> please don't mess this up because even the most you know, I don't know, ignorant football fan, watcher of football would agree that Lewandowski has to win it this season. So 
And uh, Schnitzel, just to kind of round this episode out, every time you, you, we, you've mentioned the word PSG, I'm just thinking, I know we beat them in 2020 in the Champions League final, completing the trouble, but uh, a few things have happened since then between us, right? Last season, all I think about is uh, Paredes and Neymar celebrating right in front of Kimmich, and you know that, that just leaves a, a certain fire in me, as, as it does for Kimmich. I'm sure. And all I'm thinking about is revenge in the Champions League. But but with that, speaking of the Champions League, Bayern is flying. I mean, there's not a long list of, of teams that are playing as well as us in this competition. Yes, Barcelona, a very broken, you know, just pieces of, of what used to be a super team. Barcelona is in our group, uh, Benfica and, and Dinamo Kiev. But we've beaten handedly what's been placed in front of us. And Schnitzel... There's a few other teams in Europe that are playing as well, but not quite as well as us. And, you know, I, I know that I was telling you before we recording, I, I would think that Ajax, their record perhaps is a little bit flattered by the red cards uh, against Dortmund. I think both of those encounters would have been far different if they were 11 v 11 for 90 plus minutes. But with that said, I mean, as it currently stands in this competition, I mean, who, who can beat Bayern right now? Who really has a, a credible chance? I don't want to jinx a Bayern Munich season, but I think that Bayern Munich are Champions League favorites. There is no doubt about it. They are the team to beat. And I think they just turn it, you know, a notch higher in Europe all the time. Regardless of their performances in the league, in the Pokal, they always manage to come to the Champions League, all guns firing, and their performances are significantly of a better quality. So I think uh, Bayern are the team to beat. But if I am to, you know, talk about some challengers for the Champions League trophy, then your team, Liverpool, obviously comes to mind <laughs> because have they to. have also been amazing in the league. And in other competitions as well, including the Champions League, where they've managed to beat Atletico twice, which is no mean feat. So I think Liverpool are a very, very good shout. Ajax, as you mentioned, are also a very, very good outside contender. I think they're the dark horse. But if things go well for them, you could always see a repeat of the 2018-19 season where they, you know, I think managed to make it to the semifinals. So they could they could do that. They could go even further. Uh, you never know. But their team looks really good right now. But uh, yeah, so Liverpool, uh, Ajax, definitely not PSG. I just don't think they have it in them to, you know, be Champions League contenders. I know that's questionable. That's uh, a pretty controversial statement. But having a squad filled with star-studded players is not everything that's required to win the Champions League. You also need cohesion. You need that team to gel well together. You need to manage those egos. There's a lot of factors. So... I'm actually taking PSG out of the equation, <laughs> you know? I will not stop you there because I completely yeah. agree. And, you know, from a footballing romantics perspective and, you know, uh, a footballing dignity, so to speak, uh, if there's any, uh, you know, real karma gods out there watching from above or from wherever, they will not let PSG win a Champions League. And it I'm all for that. Yeah. And it was amazing to see, you know, both as a, a Bundesliga fan and an anti uh, PSG, you know, an anti-corrupt ownership uh, person to see RB Leipzig give them a great run for their money and very yes. well could have won that game. Uh, one more thing to Red keep Bowl in Arena. mind. One more thing to keep in mind is that their manager is Pochettino. 
So he has good experience bottling it in the finals of the Champions League. So <laughs> yes, gonna... <laughs> as I as I very well know myself as yeah, a, as yeah. a football fan, <laughs> I will say you know I'll kind of uh, round this episode out by saying just to everyone out there, if I it does... I cannot. Just give me one second. I didn't mention. I mean, I don't want people erupting at me in the comment section because I didn't mention mention Manchester City, Chelsea, nice. and maybe Real Madrid were always outside favorites. But uh, I don't think Real Madrid have a good shout this season. But yes, I would say that of Man City and Chelsea, they are doing really well as well. And I think they're also decent uh, shouts for the Champions League trophy. That's all. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. You know. It'll be interesting if, if Bayern Munich do wind up drawing a Premier League team. I hope, for my sake, it's not Liverpool because I would agree that it's Liverpool and Bayern Munich who are playing the best right now in European competition. I, I was just going to say I, I will promise our Bavarian podcast listeners uh, and Bavarian Football Works readers that I will remain increasingly objective if that situation does arise at some point in the knockout stages if it's Bayern Munich versus Liverpool, just as yeah, I in 2019, as hard as that was. Uh, yeah. but I will remain as objective as possible. Watch Bayern draw Liverpool, and then the referee is Michael Oliver. <laughs> that, <laughs> like... uh, again, I mean, maybe maybe <laughs> I will remove myself from the, you know, the nominations for match pieces in that situation, just stay away from PFW until <laughs> that, that round is over. But uh, nonetheless, as a Liverpool fan, from that side of it, I really hope we don't draw Bayern because that would be very difficult, but uh, as a Bayern fan, uh, I don't think there's many teams other than like Liverpool, perhaps even Man City, that could put up a good fight. But we will see. As a Bayern fan, I want to draw Real Madrid this season. I really do. Like I'm praying that we draw them. And in in a in a way to get a, a lot of revenge, you know, 2018, 2017, the offside non-call that uh, Arturo Vidal. So artistically drew that line on his social media afterwards. Uh, the poor calls, the Sven Ulreich mistake uh, in 2018, just just very painful. And that was a rough year for me as well. Getting to the final, Larice Carius. It's just a bad. Yeah. It was a bad like two weeks for like gold. I know how much mistakes. you hate Real Madrid as well. You know, yeah, losing just, to them twice that must be harsh. Both teams actually. Real Atletico. Oh man, Liverpool as well. Yeah. I could have a I could have a whole other podcast. Uh, you know, with my <laughs> my two cents on Atletico Madrid, the dark arts, yeah. the uh, the um S word housery, if you will, uh, Diego Simeone snubbing Klopp, all that stuff. But let's go, Tom. You want to listen to your you know uncensored uh, rants? You know, I could maybe maybe one of these days I will try and do a close analysis and examination on what it is about La Liga teams with that like where they always have those dark arts and, you know, all of that stuff, which pains me to like watch Liverpool against them or Bayern against them. But yeah, that obviously would be an entirely other episode. And so I think this is a good place to, to wrap it up. We discussed a lot, uh, obviously ending on a high note as we head into the international break. And uh, unless you had anything else to add, I think this is a, uh, this is a good place to, to end unless you want to sign off in, in any kind of particular fashion. I agree completely, and I think we should sign off. So I'll say thank you to all of you for listening. And uh, please make sure to like, share, rate, and subscribe to us on any podcasting platform you use. And obviously, as Tom likes to say, to all the aliens listening to us from you know outside the planet, <laughs> yes. please make sure to give us your feedback because we value it so much. So yeah. Thanks a lot for listening. And Tom, would you like to say something before we sign off? I was off? just going to say, uh, maybe eventually all of our listeners will entice you to get a Twitter page once and then uh, <laughs> we can get you on there so we can add your handle but you can follow me 
at well pretty much i'm always on the bavarian football works so at bavarian fb works at tommy adams 71 if you really want to follow my personal account there's really nothing interesting on there whatsoever wondering getting twitter so if i do that you'll be the first person i follow that's well you sure. you heard it here first ladies and gentlemen yeah. we <laughs> might just entice schnitzel to get a twitter page but again thanks for listening and until next time auf wiedersehen